and make sure that we get that information to the correct people so that we can be praying for you as well. And if you came prepared to give, you can also put that in there as well. So today we are in week four of our series on prayer. And I just want to tell you, I've loved it and we're just getting warmed up. Okay, the more we talk about prayer, the more it blesses me personally. And I hope that it's been the same for you as well. And we're going to be talking about prayer for quite a while. So just buckle in and get excited about prayer. Can I get an amen? Okay. All right. We're waking up. This is good. This is good. All right. So last week we began looking at maybe the most famous prayer in all of history. And so just for good measure, I want to read the Lord's Prayer to us again so that we know it in its entirety as we look at the specific phrase that we're going to study today. So Matthew 6, 19 through 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, it'll also be there on the screen. This is what it says. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay, so recently I heard a statistic that baffled me. And knowing what statistics are, right? Like, who knows if you can trust them. But I believe that this one is true. Experts approximate that almost 25% of the world's population prayed the Lord's Prayer on Easter just a few weeks ago. 25% of the world's population. That's a crazy number, right? There's about 8 billion people on earth. That means 2 billion people prayed the Lord's Prayer just a few weeks ago on Easter. That's insane. This prayer is famous, but more than just being famous, it is full of power, it is full of purpose, and it's this prayer that Jesus gave us, and he gave it to us intentionally. He chose every single word in the prayer for a reason, and that's why we're taking it line by line, phrase by phrase. Last week, we looked at the opening line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So without re-preaching last week's message, because I know you guys would love that, right? Two messages today, okay? Without re-preaching that, I just want to give you a quick catch-up on what we talked about last week. So the phrase, our Father, was meant to show both the communal nature of the prayer, not my Father, but our Father, our Father, and the personal nature of God. Now, Jesus knew that calling his Father, Father in front of the people that were listening would instantly grab their attention because calling God Father would have been far too personal for the people that he was talking to. The name of God was so revered in that time that for him to say, our Father, would have grabbed their attention. And that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to say, hey, pay attention. And then it said, our Father in heaven, a de declaration of the fact that God is reigning and ruling from heaven. So we have a personal God who's reigning and ruling from heaven. And then it finished out with, hallowed be your name. 
God, your name is so incredible, so holy that we cannot do anything but give you adoration and praise and worship. That's what Jesus was speaking when he spoke that line. The theme of Jesus' opening line could be boiled down into this idea. Hey, when you pray, remember who you're talking to. That's what we arrived at last week. When you pray, remember that you're talking to both a personal God and a God who reigns on his throne in heaven. This is a big deal. So this leads us into the phrase that we're talking about today. Um, We're going to read seven more words from this prayer, but they are just so rich and so deep that we could spend an entire sermon series. And granted, I think in the future we will spend an entire sermon series on this, but for today, we're going to focus on how the words that Jesus said in this specific phrase should shape us in how we pray. So the phrase for today is, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'd love for you to say that with me. Ready? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, one more time with gusto. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Got to make sure we're staying awake in here. (laughs) Now, this is only half of the complete sentence that's recorded. But it's, again, so deep and so rich that we are only covering this prayer in half sentences. So I wonder, as we just talked about, of the 8 billion people on earth that prayed this prayer a few weeks ago, if the, I'm sorry, the 2 billion of the 8 that prayed it a few weeks ago on Easter, I wonder how many are thoughtfully considering the words that they are praying. I wonder that. I wonder, are they just reciting it or are they thoughtfully thinking about it? But here's what's cool. This is actually pretty amazing. I think that even if they were simply reciting it, if they were simply just doing the motions because that's what you do when you go to church on Easter, you do what the pastor or the priest says, right? If they were just reciting it, there's still power in that. There's still power in the recitation. However, if they were really considering the words that they were saying, they would be truly amazed because of what Jesus says. And so for those of us who are mindfully considering the words of this prayer when we pray them, there's something in store for us that's really special. So the last few weeks, I have been praying the Lord's Prayer every single day. And I have found myself thinking, this is actually quite a wild prayer, right? It's actually quite a wild prayer. And this line that we're about to study is no different. When someone prays the phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done, they are actually praying three different types of prayer. And so that's what we're going to see this prayer through. What lens we're going to look at this line through are the three different things that you're actually praying when you pray this line. So first, you're praying a prayer of submission. You could also be praying a prayer of calibration. And you could be praying a prayer of desperation, submission, calibration, and desperation. So let's look at submission. That's right. I said it. The S word. (laughs) Submission. When you hear that word, how does it make you feel? Submit? The only thing that I submit to is the idea that I don't submit to anything, right? 
Now, I don't think that any of us actually would say that out loud, but sometimes I know that my actions communicate that idea to God. Can anybody relate to me? Don't raise your hands. It's okay. You don't have to do that. But the Bible is clear about our need to submit to God. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. This exercise of submitting to God is so incredibly hard for us. Because we're encouraged to be strong individuals who turn inward to find out why we exist, that we drum up our meaning and existence. But that's just not what, Bible, what the Bible tells us. It's certainly not what this verse tells us. And anyone, many of us have probably tried this, anyone who's lived in that kingdom, the kingdom of individuality and self-reliance, they only need to experience just one fraction of that life before they realize that it's fragile and fleeting and it's not all that we thought it would be, right? But instead, Jesus reminds us in this prayer that we are invited to choose submission, that we are invited for God's kingdom to come, for his will to be done. And so when we submit to God, it says that he will make our paths straight. Anybody feel like they're on a wandering path right now? Yeah. Whether it be in school or work or family, there's just something that's not clear that feels like it's going all over the place. It says, submit to God and he will make your path straight. And so maybe today you just needed this reminder that the kingdom of God, whether you want it to or not, is coming. He's going to move forward with his kingdom. But you have been invited to pray a prayer of submission. And so here are your options. Choose submission and walk on straight paths. Or choose not to submit and find yourself in opposition to the all-knowing, all-powerful God. Those are your only two options. It's as clear as that. You're like, ah, there's got to be something in between, Pastor Rick. No, there's not. Submit to God and he will make your path straight or don't submit to him. Be on your own and work in opposition to the God who created the heavens and the earth, as we read in the beginning. Who, by the way, has your best interest in mind. Did you know that when you submit to God, he has your best interest in mind, that he loves you deeply and that he has an incredible plan for your life, that that path it's talking about is actually a really good path? That's the prayer that you're praying when you say your kingdom come, your will be done when you submit to God. So here's the, pray, the prayer that you might pray as you learn to submit to God, because it really is a process. God, I've tried to rule my own kingdom, and I just cannot sustain it. So instead, I need you. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. That's the prayer of submission that Jesus is inviting some of the people who are praying that prayer into. The second prayer is a prayer of calibration. So in many ways, submission is sort of the first step, right? And it's actually like a complete rewiring of your heart and your mind. 
But some of you, many of you in this room, already called Jesus Lord. So you've already been rewired through submission. You've already said, God, I give my life to you. And so instead of submission, maybe you're praying a prayer of calibration. Now, calibration is essential for optimization, right? Has, if you've ever used a tool that's not calibrated properly, it's so frustrating because you can put all of the energy you want into it and do all of the processes correctly. Micah, you know this, right? You're shaking your head. He's like, yeah, I've done this before. You can do the process 100% right and with all the correct energy, and you can still get the wrong results if the tool you're using is not calibrated, right? So calibration is essential, and our lives are the exact same way. If we are just a little off in our life, then you're gonna get less than desirable results, right? You've, you've heard that phrase, ah, I'm just feeling a little off today, right? That is such a normal thing. This is not something to be ashamed of. It's just a reality. We get out of calibration, and, and then the longer we stay on that uncalibrated path, the further we get from the ideal that God has intended, right? The further we get from the situation or the reality that we're shooting for. John 10.10, I read this verse all the time. I think if you've been here the last six months, you've probably heard this verse 12 times. But I love it. It says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's what Satan's trying to do to your life. But Jesus says that I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Exactly the opposite of what the devil's trying to do. Exactly the opposite of what Satan's trying to do in your life. Jesus came so that we could have this incredibly full life. That's good news. But how? How do we do that? We do this by aligning our life with the plan that God has meant for us to live. And sometimes that means that we need to recalibrate our lives to what matters most. And thankfully, we don't have to guess what that looks like. The Bible actually gives us really clear instructions. In fact, a lot of them, if I were to read all the verses that I wanted to read you to, to read to you today, we'd be here until three. And I'm just not going to do that to anybody, okay? That's right, you're welcome. But I am going to read a few of them, and I want you to think on these about how they might be encouraging you to just recalibrate what you're doing. So Colossians 4.2, it's going to be on the screen. It says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. What are you devoting yourself to? Are you devoted to prayer or do you need to recalibrate? That's a good question. That's a question I have to ask myself often. James 1.22 says this, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. So do you listen? Do you read? Do you know the word of God? And if so, do you actually let it shape the way you live your life? Man, that's a tough question to ask yourself, right? I'm right there with you. This is it. I get to ask myself this all the time, and the answer is sometimes. And I would like it to be more yes and less no. But the, the verse is warning us that if all we do is listen and not do the word of God, that we're deceiving ourselves. 
You don't want to do that. You don't want to wake up in the morning and go, just lie to yourself in the mirror. That would be the most silly act in all of humanity, right? Like, hey, you're a millionaire. All right, you know? Like, I mean, come on. Like, just think about the things that, that would happen if you just deceived yourselves, and they're funny. And then the verse says, if you only listen to the word and you don't let it shape the way you live, that you're doing the same thing, right? So don't merely listen, but do. And then Hebrews 13.5 says this, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now notice really quick, it doesn't say to keep yourself from money. It says to keep yourself from the love of money. It says to be content with what you have, no matter how much or how little you have. And maybe you've always wondered why God puts so much structure around our relationship to money and why he calls us to tithe and why he calls us to be generous with people who are around us. And it's because he knows that if we're not careful, that we'll become fixated on money. And then when we're fixated on it, we start to love it a little bit more. And then we lose sight of its purpose altogether, which is simply to be a tool to accomplish the things that he's put in front of you, to live out that good design. God doesn't need the money that he gave you in the first place. He doesn't need it. He gave it to you in the first place. In fact, in a sermon that I was recently listening to, I love the way that this pastor said it. He said, God is not after your wallet. He's after your heart. So the exercise of recalibrating the way that we think about money is because God wants your heart. God wants you to give it away in portions that he's decided because he's after your heart. He's already promised never to leave us or forsake us. And so we don't have to rely on the income or the amount of money that we have to our name to meet the life that God has designed for us. It's simply a tool. So those are just a few examples. Prayer, scripture, the way we think about money. Those are opportunities to recalibrate your life around scripture. And the question that I ask myself is, does my financial story show others the kingdom of God? That's what I want to know about myself. And then the final verse that I'll read about calibration, Matthew 6, 33 and 34 says this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. As citizens of God's kingdom, we are meant to seek the good of the kingdom of God and his righteousness today. Today. Because tomorrow will have plenty of worry for itself. But today, you get to focus on the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, what areas of calibration or recalibration do you need? And when you know what needs recalibration, I want you to know this. Do not be discouraged by that, but be thankful that God has highlighted that for you. 
So the prayer you might pray as you calibrate your life to God's design could sound like this, just an option. God, as as a citizen of your kingdom, I want to live a life that is full. I want to live the life that plays the part that you've designed for me, that plays the role that you've given to me in this kingdom. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in my life. So we have recalibration. We also have submission. We've talked about how God can rewire us and how God can recalibrate our lives into better ways of thinking and living. The final type of prayer that Jesus highlights when he prays this prayer is a prayer of desperation. And this prayer is a prayer, it's a gift for those who are fighting the good fight, as it's been said, but just feel worn down or tired or burned out or up against a wall. You say, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Spoken from the mouth, me, of a consistent optimist. Many of you know that. Sometimes life can just be hard, right? Even an optimist like myself can admit that. Some of you are pessimists. You're like, yeah, you're not saying it enough, Pastor Rick. Okay, there you go. I concede a little bit. It can be hard. It can be sad. It can be painful. But guess what? That was not part of God's original design. It's not where we started. And I'm here to tell you, it's not where we're headed. It's our reality right now, but it's not where we're going. In fact, there is a beautiful passage in the book of Revelation that I'm going to read you in just a sec. The book of Revelation is a prophecy. It's about what is to come. And in Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7, we get a picture of where we're headed. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. That's good news. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Verse 5, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6, he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. That's the picture of where we're headed. That's the picture of where God's people are going to land. So when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, teach us how to pray, they didn't not know how to pray. That wasn't the issue. They knew how to pray. 
They didn't know how to pray like Jesus was praying. They didn't know how to get the results that Jesus was getting or have the tone that Jesus spoke with with authority when he said, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not that this prayer is a request that's sent out to God with just a hope but it's actually a reminder of what God is already doing and what he's promised to make happen. It's already true. God's kingdom is advancing. It's invading the darkness. It's actually changing lives, lives today. So when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done, he was teaching us to give God the praise he's due and the permission from our hearts and our minds to align ourselves, to align our lives with what he's already doing. He's doing it around us. Many of us know this. Many of us see this. This prayer is an invitation into something way better than we could think of or even dream of. I don't know about you, but I've had some wild dreams where things that happen in my dreams will never happen in life. I've probably said this before, so forgive me if I've said this, but I used to have a dream as a kid where a man with a spaghetti hair, with spaghetti hair, an eye patch, and meatballs for eyes was chasing me through these caverns. Now, if that happens, I'm in trouble. The odds are that's not happening, though. If I can dream that, and scripture tells us that God can do even more than we can fathom and dream, then the things that we wear, the things that we carry, the heaviness, the pain, the fears, all of that, it's not too much for God. So when we say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, we pray that out of desperation. God, come and help me and fix my problems. And he may or may not answer the prayer just the way you want it, but he hears it, I promise. I promise he hears it. And he's working in each and every life to do exactly what he's intended, to do exactly what he's designed, and it's good. It's so good. So here's the prayer that you might pray out of desperation. God, this world is heavy. It's burdensome. I know it's brokenness. Sometimes it's just too painful for me to bear. So I desperately call out to you, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You see, the disciples were already praying. They were praying regularly. But Jesus had something that they didn't have. They wanted it desperately. They want the kingdom of God to invade their world, for the light to invade the darkness. And that's what he's doing. And when we pray that prayer, when we recite that prayer, when we invite that in, whether it's out of submission or we just need some recalibration or we're desperate, we're inviting God to realign our hearts with what he's already planned to do. And as we saw in the passage in Revelation, it's good things. 
to take away tears and pain and sorrow and mourning and to make all things new. So will you do me a favor and stand up? We're going to sing a few songs. In there, we're going to have a time of prayer. But I just want you to ask yourself as you sing and as you pray, God, what is it? Am I out of submission? Do I need to submit to you? If so, help me to do that. Or maybe it's just recalibration. God, help me to recalibrate my life in an area where I've gone just a little off or a lot off. And I just need you to recalibrate my soul, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done in my life. Or maybe you're just desperate. You're desperate for that friend or that family member to come to know Jesus or for him to fix a broken situation, a broken marriage, a broken financial situation, a a health situation. There's so many things that go wrong in this world, but God is coming. His kingdom is invading the darkness. So God, we lift that up to you and we thank you so much for a prayer like this, that it reminds us that your kingdom is coming, that your will is going to be done and is being done right now. And we have a choice. Do we submit? Do we align? And do we pray desperate prayers for the things that we want to see happen? May we be a church that do those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing.